welcome to a first episode of uh, Transfer News Central podcast, 15 Minutes of Football podcast. It's had so many names I get confused. Off 2021. Uh, the first of 2021. Uh, James is here and he's absolutely delighted with the first topic on the uh, agenda. Into um, sarcasm there. Uh, so we'll be looking actually at Chelsea and their current situation. James in that one. And then we'll be looking at my team, Burnley, started 2021. In a slightly better way, fixture was cancelled against Fulham this weekend, but they have been taken over by ALK Capital. So a bit of optimism there, a bit of contrast between those two topics. Then we'll go back to that positional analysis and look at the top five left-wingers in the Premier League after uh, Gary Neville actually touted it as being uh, the Premier League having some of the best left-wingers in Europe. Interesting to look at who we think is first, second, third, fourth and fifth. And we'll look across Europe. Uh, at some of the biggest results, but that was quite. That was usually that was a bit of a shortened uh, introduction because I'm eager to get James's thoughts, as I'm sure others are, on the Chelsea situation. Losing three-one at home to Manchester City, three-nil down at half-time, uh, three without a win uh, over the Christmas period, and it's not looking too good. But I guess in, in short, James, before we go into the questions in a bit more detail, where's it all gone wrong? And why has it all gone wrong in such a short space of time? I think there's a lot of a lot of factors around this. Uh, it's, it's not simplistic. Uh, first, I think Chelsea signed six players in the summer. Six starting players, mm. you would say. Yeah. Uh, you know, Werner, Havertz, Zayek, Chilwell, Silva, Mendy. Um, so uh, that's the first thing I think, and to integrate six new players into a team is not easy, especially when they're young players, and especially when some of them are adapting to a new, a new league. Mm. As um, Havertz and Vera uh, and Silva all are, oh, and Mendy as well, actually, <laughs> um, and Zayek. I mean, they're all adapting to a new league, but. Um, uh, so there's that. And I think, second, they didn't have a pre-season at all. So they didn't have any time to work on tactics, on team structure, on patterns of play, on all of that kind of thing that is really important with new players, with new signings especially. Uh, so they didn't have time to do that. Uh, and then you've had the fixture congestion of the season, obviously. Um, which has affected every team. I mean, Liverpool are there, uh, have dropped almost as many points this season as they did in the entirety of last season already. Uh, so there's that as well. I think also, I think injuries. Um, Hakim Zayek has been has only played six league games out of um, 16, I think. Uh, and when he was playing, Chelsea, I think, Today was the first league game that he's played that they've lost, I think, actually. They won five and they won four and, and drawn one of the games that he played before today. Um, today being Sunday. Uh, today being Sunday, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, so that's been a factor. Havertz has had COVID, which yes. apparently he's still feeling the effects of. Uh, and I know that from people that I know who've had it, it can affect you for quite a while. Uh, and athlete, you know, it you know, it affects your lungs. And so... Uh, as an athlete, that's difficult, and that's into a new league as well. That's difficult for him. Although he's looked a bit brighter when he's come on, 
a sub in the last couple of games. So that's positive. But, um, and then I think the way that Lampard trains his players and the amount of energy they, they, they use on the pitch, uh, there seems to be a pattern with his management of his teams kind of getting a bit of burnout around December, January time before coming good towards the end of the season. Um, so there may be an element of training in there where he's maybe working them too hard in training. Uh, and it's just, they've looked tired in a lot of these games recently, like physically tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the stamina has not quite been there. Although the last couple of games, again, that's been less the case. Uh, and I think all those things have, all those things have been factors. Mm. Um, there's certainly a lot of inexperience in the team and naivety in the team. You've got, I mean, which is understandable because you've got a lot of young players. The, the, the team is, I mean, Thiago Silva and Kante apart, it's quite an inexperienced team. Um, players that are still developing, players that are not in their prime. So they are still making, going to make those kind of mistakes. They're still, they're still not a well-oiled machine like Liverpool or Manchester City, for example. Uh, and so... That can that can impact your mentality and it can impact your yeah. confidence. Mm-hmm. Chelsea are not playing with any confidence whatsoever right no. now. No. Um, you could see it today in the body language. Um, we started off Chelsea started off very well. They were solid. They were passing the ball around well. You know they weren't like bad. Um, Man City didn't start brilliantly, but as soon as Man City scored, mm. the body language of the whole team completely changed. Heads yeah. went down. People were starting to get slow to the ball. They looked a bit overwhelmed. Uh, yes. Confidence just drained away completely. Uh, and, you know, that, that's, that's a sign of inexperience as a team. Yeah. Uh, lack of maturity. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also just a side that's not been getting good results. And that, that can dent your confidence. I mean... Uh, it's difficult to lift yourself when you've been... When you've, when you've lost... You know, three of your last four, and then you're then you're two 0 down to Manchester City as well. It, you know, and you're a young team. Mm. You haven't got the experience of coming back in those games. Mm. Don't have the resilience that more experienced teams do. Mm. Um, and yes, Lampard is an inexperienced coach. I think mm. that's the other thing. Mm. He's not. Mm. He's only been a manager for two and a half years. He wasn't an assistant anywhere before that. He didn't do any kind of. Stewardship, you know, like John Terry is doing, for example, at Aston Villa. Um, uh, even Jose Mourinho was like an assistant for, you know, eight years, ten years before he became a manager. Louis Van Gaal. Oh, I haven't done that. Um, yeah, he was an assistant to Bob yeah. Robson. At uh, and and Van, Van, Van Hal, I think. And Van Hal, yeah, he was assistant yeah. to Bob Robson and Van Hal um, yeah, yeah, yeah. over a period of about eight years, nine mm. years. Mm. Uh, and he said that was really important for him. Um, so yeah. Uh, Lampard hasn't had any of that so he's kind yeah. of learning on the job and he's making mistakes mm, mm. he's made a couple of mistakes like his in-game management's not been brilliant mm. he's been out coached a couple of times uh, mm. so all of these mm. things are coming kind of factoring in together and also the fact that at Chelsea there's always politics you're under pressure to play big signings mm. so it's difficult when they're not playing well uh, mm. to leave them out and that's that's another pressure that every Chelsea manager has. So, mm. and he knows that probably better than anybody. So, uh, oh, <laughs> a lot. Of I, re- I remember Fernando Torres when Fernando Torres came yeah. to fifty million pounds. Yeah, it, 
it happens on a Friday. That's how Chelsea works as a club. I mean, mm. you either accept it or you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so so I like I like that because you 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 you've really sort of uh, it's almost like there's a there's a sort of accumulation of things that are happening. Some are down to the manager. Some are not down to the manager. Some a lot of it's down to the way the season is. Um, and the patchy nature of this season is affecting a lot of teams, I think. Like you said, Liverpool uh, have lost a lot more points than they did. I mean, that's also down to injuries. But again, that also comes down to the, the crazy nature of this season, which is getting seeing more players get injured because the schedule has been crammed together. Um, so you're absolutely right, really. And it's a very fair point that to bring in six players, and all of which, all of whom supposedly can stake a claim to the starting eleven. And without that pre-season, in that shortened period, it is very difficult because to bring six players in with the pre-season, it's still difficult sometimes to integrate everyone in. So I think you make a, you, you make a very good point, actually. Um, but you say all this and you make a very good case for Frank Lampard to be given more time to, to, um, to implement his style, to get his ideas across, and maybe to give him the benefit of the doubt in a season unlike any other season that certainly mm. I've ever witnessed. However... Chelsea is like, I suppose, Roman Abramovich is almost like King Henry VIII, isn't he, with his managers? And, you know, if he doesn't yeah. particularly like him, they get to go to the guillotine. And yeah. it is, this is what we were, we were talking off air that uh, a piece by The Athletic as well has suggested that Frank Lampard's position is now seriously under threat. What I would say before we talk about that is, uh, or before you, you add on to that, is that it came out, I think, one minute or two minutes after the game. So it's almost as if the writer who had it in mind has to think, well, what next time Chelsea lose, this is going to go out. So the cynic in me thinks yes. that's just... I, 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 did, I did read that the, the guy who wrote it, he tweeted about the article and yeah. said, this is stuff that we've heard in the last week or two. Uh, mm. And if Chelsea had won we would have had to go and check our sources again to see if this was still the case. <laughs> um, but, but, but given that they lost, the, 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 you know, because the things that he talked about, uh, that he mentioned that there have been, the players were not playing, some of them uh, are frustrated with Lampard and there's disagreements mm. between some of them uh, or whatever. And, you and you'd expect players to be unhappy who aren't playing, to be fair. Um, to be fair. So, I think it maybe I've got a feeling who the players are. Players who probably might think they deserve to start um, and aren't starting. Uh, I think that that's who the kind of players it would be. But it, but yeah, whenever, whenever you hear stuff like that about the Chelsea about Chelsea players and the manager, it's not a good sign. No, honestly, because uh, we've seen this before. Chelsea fans know this. Um, but like whenever whenever you start to hear murmurings about dressing rooms and. Players in the dressing room not happy, whatever. Uh, mm. That historically, that has only ever gone one way in mm. the end. Mm. Uh, now, that's not to say that that Frank Lampard won't start winning games again mm. because they're, they're, they've got a good squad, mm. and now they're going to have a bit of a break. I think they've got they've got the FA Cup game against Morecambe, which they won't play anything like their first choice eleven in that in that mm. game. Uh, I think about three or four academy players are in line to start the game. Mm make debuts in the game. Uh, and that might give that might give everyone just a, a chance to get away and have a have a rest. You know, maybe you could play some players who are not in form in that game just to get their form back. And then you've got Fulham, uh, um, which again is a game that Chelsea would expect to win. 
uh, you know, uh, and you know, and what I've what I've been told by people I know who are well connected at Chelsea is that Lampard is not going to get sacked immediately. He is going to get a chance to turn it around. Uh, if, however, Chelsea went out of the FA Cup to Morecambe and then lost to Fulham, then that would be different. Um, you know, yes. so uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that, I mean, uh, we were saying, though. And, and I'm not surprised, sadly, but I really wanted to turn it around because I really believe in what he's trying to do, and I can see what he's trying to do. Uh, and I want Chelsea to to back a manager and stick with a manager and back a project, you know, because uh, and at the very least, given to the end of the season, um, mm. I would understand it more if they let him go at the end of the season because then they've given him a couple of years at least. It's not like they've sacked him mid season after mm. a bad run. Is that they've made a decision based on like a whole season with these players or a couple yeah. of seasons as manager. Yeah. So that would be more understandable. But I guess we'll see what happens. It, it, it really depends on what happens in the next month. Well, I mean, we, 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 were, we were sort of saying, and, and, uh, and I sometimes jump on the bandwagon on the podcast, it's nice to discuss things and say why people are doing well or why this isn't doing well. And we've done that in, we've done that in the past with Solskjaer, done that in the past with Arteta and other managers. Uh, I think you, you've said it yourself about Maurizio Sarri, we've looked at Unai Emery, we, across the board, uh, Lucien Favre as well. But recently, Mikel Arteta is, you know, someone who we, you know, I think we discussed two weeks or one week ago, uh, why his position could be under threat. And, He's managed to turn it round, and it, it, it obviously because the results that he underwent at the start of December were quite awful. I mean, you know, it was bad football. Lose, I mean, lose to Burnley at home, very bad because Burnley couldn't buy a win at the time. Apart from against Crystal Palace, they were struggling, and it, obviously now Burnley are doing quite well. My team, but since then, and the, the Everton, the Everton lost as well, and then they come to Chelsea, big game, win that game. Narrow win against Brighton, emphatic win against West Brom. He's playing a lot of the youngsters. Things are looking a lot brighter when it looked like at one point it was just more doom and gloom at Christmas. I'm going to be honest, for Arteta, he managed to find a way to, to get the results to turn it round. And suddenly things are on the up. They're three points away from Chelsea now, uh, which is quite staggering when you think a few weeks ago, like you say, Chelsea were top of the league. So, as I said when we were uh, just before we went on to the podcast, Lampard just needs to look at across across London for inspiration, doesn't he? A, a manager yeah. who's equally uh, a novice, uh, you know, no managerial experience before Arsenal, also learning on the job, but he's dug deep, made a few personnel changes. He the, everything looked really bleak, and people were saying his days are numbered. And now, Arteta project exactly, and I think that I think that's right. It, it, it'll only if Chelsea put a good one one of wins together now, mm. then all this will will go. Go quiet. It will. It will. It will stop. Uh, and it was. I mean, to be fair, it's the same with Oligan Solskjaer. Mm. When they went out to PSG, mm. uh, into the when they, when they had, Leipzig, 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 Leipzig. Sorry, Leipzig. Yeah. They were in the same group, weren't they? As PSG. Yeah. But um, yeah, when they lost to Leipzig, went out of the Champions League into the Europa League. Well, in the, 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 the stories then were like it was days away from. Solskjaer, or one bad result away from Solskjaer getting sacked and Pochettino becoming Man United manager. Uh, it was that, it was that, I think a lot of fans ex- almost expected it. Uh, and, <laughs> and of course, he turned it around and, and now they're kind of joined top of the league on points. So, 
yeah, it's like Lampard's turn almost to go through this now. The only but... thing you would say though is that there is there is quite. I mean, Ed Woodward really does seem to back and like Solskjaer. Everything you know, they've come out in support of him a few times, they've, and you know they've had we've we've seen plenty of opportunities for them to have gone for Maurizio Pochettino when he wasn't when he was available and. And they still kept backing him to an extent, even when it got a bit tough. I know we all said they were one game away, but I suppose the media likes to speculate things. It can't always be one game away. Surely at one point you think, well, if we don't want him, we're going to get rid of him. So I think Arteta does have some kind of backing there. And I think, uh, sorry, Solskjaer does have some kind of backing there. I think Arteta too, because they made him manager after, you know, he came in as a head coach and then they made him manager after six months. So... There was a reluctance to pull the plug on that project. The other reason I think we've got the issue with Lampard is because of Roman Abramovich's. Um... Yeah, I do think Abramovich wants it to work with Lampard. Uh, but, I mean, Abramovich has a lot of respect for Frank Lampard for what he's done for Chelsea, and he's mm. um, and uh, has a pretty good relationship with him. I think, and Lampard has a, has a good relationship with the Chelsea board as well. Mm. Uh, and obviously, Peter Cech is kind of director of football league kind of figure, uh, and they're they're very they're very close because they played together. But yeah, but at the same time, Abramovich is you know yes, he's known to be ruthless. He wants success. He wants Chelsea yes. to be the best. Yes, uh, and he won't he he won't listen to sentiment. Ultimately, if it comes to it, if Chelsea lose another two league games, well. And then, kind of, then the bottom half of the table, then, then he will feel justified that he has to make a change because Chelsea need Chelsea want Champions League football. Yeah, um, they want to be able to attract the best players, um, and just for the prestige of playing in the Champions League as well, they want Champions League football. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if that's looking farther and further away, then they will, they will feel justified that they need to make a change. And I okay. actually think Lampard himself. Will know what you know. He knows, and I think that if he feels like he can't do the job, mm. um, he would. He wouldn't wait to be sacked. I think he would, because he loves the club too much. So um, if they, if he, if he was to go, it would, be, it would be handled quite amicably. I think it wouldn't be this kind mm. of vicious, brutal sacking. Yeah, because of his status at the club. So, um, but I truly hope that, that doesn't happen. Uh, yeah. I still think there's a chance it doesn't happen. So. Mm. We'll have to see what happens in the next few weeks. Absolutely. Okay. Topic two, my team. Uh, Burnley taken over. Very happy. Quite different to to your team, James, in terms of optimism at the moment. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you've sort of been following this briefly, uh, not quite as much detail as me. So initial thoughts and then, you know, what what, what kind of questions were you, were you wanted to ask me, maybe? Well, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for Burnley. Uh, I'm happy for Burnley because they're. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Burnley. They're they're well-run club. That you know they've got a good manager, who, despite having almost no money to spend every season, mm. um, keeps Burnley in the Premier League. I don't know how many mm. seasons they've been in the Premier League now. I can't mm. think it's quite a fifth, few. Fifth, fifth season. Six, six seasons. I mean, that's that's brilliant for mm. a club like Burnley. And you know their supporters are very kind of um, loyal and patient and. Understanding because mm. the football's not always great at Burnley, mm. Mm. Uh, and they have to sell some their best players generally when they, you know, a lot of the time. Um, so it's good for them, and especially because Alcao said that they're going to back um, uh, Daish in the transfer market. 
mm. as well in January, which is good for Burnley. So to me, it looks a good. It looks a good deal. Obviously, there's financial fair mm. play. So it's not going to be like Manchester City where they come in and you know suddenly become uh, Champions League contenders or whatever. But um, it certainly, I think, it's a positive. Well, what's your what's your view of the whole? The whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm quite happy because, well, very happy. Um, I always like the. Well, I always like. This is the first time that my club, Burnley, in my lifetime's had a major takeover like this uh, in the Premier League. At the t- previous chairman, um, Mike Garlic, had a net worth of sixty-four million pounds. I think. And I remember looking at the net worths of all of the chairmen across the Premier League. And that was last season. The only chairman who had a, a lower net worth than Mike Garlick was the Norwich chairman, Delia Smith, and her and her setup at Norwich. They had a less a, a lower net worth. We were this uh, Burnley were the second lowest net worth. So it wasn't really uh, the net worth of a chairman of a of a chairman of a football club that's in its fifth season of Premier League football. And I think it, there was there was a need for a cash injection from somewhere, and ALK Capital come in, headed by Alan Pace, who's an American businessman, uh, a very successful American businessman. And one thing I already like about Alan Pace, as well as the early interviews that he's done, is the fact that he's quite active on Twitter. So he's come in and he's been responsive to a lot of fans <coughs> and um, journalists who've been asking questions. He's done an interview with uh, various newspapers and interviews with various newspapers and he's been very open about his plans um, for Burnley as you said he's going to back Deitch uh, he, he says he's going to back Deitch uh, uh, throw a, a bit of caution there he says um, <coughs> I think the word he said was <coughs> he w- the funds will be measured in the short term so that's a bit of a you know keep, keep, keep your feet on the ground as you say James this isn't a Manchester City style um, overhaul <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but, you know, he says he will back him. He will. He's also very interested, actually, in uh, data and technology analysis to find the best players before other teams across Europe. Now, Burnley's already tried this uh, with a technical director called Mike Rigg. And what I was told that is that <laughs> in the past, Mike Rigg would select some players that fit the budget parameters that were set by the board when they were very tight. But Sean Dyche didn't like the players who were being recommended to him. And he wanted players of his own that didn't fit the budget standards or requirements uh, that were put in place by the previous owner, Mike Garlick. Um, so there was a bit of a, a difficulty there. There were three people chasing different things. Board had tight financial restrictions. Mike Rigg was working with the board and tried to please Dyche. But Sean Dyche didn't like the players Mike Rigg wanted. And he hid the players that Sean Dyche wanted were out of Burnley's grasp, apparently, um, due to budget restraints. Um, so hopefully this technology, uh, use of technology and data does work because it's a great way of uh, acquiring talent if used properly. I think Leicester City, as well as scouting, have utilised that kind of method really well. Lots of clubs utilise that method really well if they've got the right setup in place. So for Alan Pace to be putting this forward, suggesting these ideas, it's, you know, music to my ears. Uh, as a Burnley supporter, as, a, as someone who, who likes to write about Burnley and it, music to the to the ears of many fans as well. Um, one thing I would say, it, just before uh, we broaden the discussion a little bit, I'm very happy that there was a rival bid by uh, Mohamed El-Kashashi, uh, an Egyptian businessman, and Chris Farnell. 
And Chris Farnell was not, he didn't come with a particularly good reputation because he'd been involved with uh, the some negotiations at Cholton, at Bury and Bolton, and particularly the one at Cholton, it nearly bankrupted the football club. And Chris Farnell had been accused of some dodgy dealings in those uh, takeover slash uh, boardroom events. And he his numbers weren't adding up in certain situations. He was in charge with keeping with, uh, I think, detailing and noting down the figures of, of certain investors, and the, these figures were incorrect. As I say, it nearly led to the collapse of Cholton Athletic. He was involved in the Bury and Bolton fiascos as well. It just didn't look good. And what it seems like happened is that Mike Garlick, the previous chairman, who's still around in an advisory role, which is great, uh, and I think he's still got an he's still got an investment at the club, uh, which is good to, to sort of help with the transition allow the American owners to see how it was done before, introduce him to the way Burnley do things, etc. That's great. Um, but I think Mike Garlick used Chris Farnell as a method of getting forward the negotiation with the Americans and, and the and, and ALK Capital, pushing it forward by saying that another group were interested. They looked like they were in the front running. I think it sped up Alan Pace and ALK Capitals moved to get Burnley Football Club because they thought, oh, we'd better act more quickly to stop this rival getting the football club. They did act quickly. The The negotiation tactic seems to work. And now into January, there's a good chance that a little bit of money could be spent. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's a pretty good summary. <laughs> um, I mean, it it must be... It must be kind of a the owner sounds like he's really good. I read about him; he's pretty, he's pretty good. Someone who's connected with the fans, like social media thing. That's that can be it's a always positive. nice. It's only a small thing, badly. Yes, <laughs> but um, yes. but if things are positive, it, it can be a good thing um, because mm. it means that they're more in tune with the fan base, I guess, and to a certain extent. Mm. Um, yeah, and the and I think it's actually a good thing that he's not going to get run. He's not going to run away and just get carried away with spending money on players yeah. recklessly. I think that's, you know, especially in the pandemic period as well. Yeah, it's it's not responsible for mm. a club like Burnley anyway. No, you don't have that money mm. to spend that kind of money. So yeah, but at the same time, they need to invest in the squad, and that is important. So it it sounds all pretty good. What is the kind of general feeling around? The, the whole fan base. Oh, it's 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 generally quite good. I mean, there was a lot of panic with the Chris Farnell possible deal, and I also read a deal. Uh, the man he was in talks with Mohammed El Kashashi, the Egyptian businessman. I mean, he seemed like a nice guy, but I read an interview and um, taken a few years ago, and the interviewer asked him what he liked to do at the weekends and what his hobbies were. Not one mention of football, and that concerns me a bit because, you know, if you're getting an owner who doesn't really understand football and you come. Or, or doesn't really have a, have an interest in football, and you and you put him in partnership with a, a, the dodgiest lawyer of the past few years. You know, if you look look at his previous track record, then it's a recipe for disaster. And I was really concerned with that. And at that point, James, I'd have rather kept the previous ownership because at least you know, yes, they don't have the funds to spend, but they won't risk the club's future, or they won't do anything stupid. They wouldn't, you know, it wasn't ideal, but it was better than plummeting and going into administration at the result of a clown ownership. With these, it's different, and the, the feeling is much better because 
Um, as, as you've just touched on, they're active on social media. They've laid out some really convincing plans. This, obviously, you're going to sound quite convincing in interviews, but he actually does. And and he does come across really well. He doesn't. He wants to keep Deitch as manager. He doesn't want to. He doesn't seem to have any crazy ideas. And you're absolutely spot on. the The idea that he says I'm not going to spend crazy money during the pandemic is important because it shows that he's a realist and it shows that he's not just saying things for the sake of getting people on side. And the best quote I picked out from his interview was, uh, "You'll find out quickly that we underpromise and overdeliver." which I think is a great quote because he essentially he's not going to promise the fans anything that he can't deliver. And then when they do deliver something, it might be better than what the fans were expecting. Um, yeah. And and I lo- really like that quote. Uh, and, yeah, and you're having, ra- a, having a football person or somebody who at least loves football and, you mm. know, as your owner is really, really important. Mm. Mm. Um, or at least has an interest in sports. Yeah, Liverpool's owners, Man City's owners, obviously Roman Abramovich—they all, they all have a passion for football. They all love football. They all love sport. You know, it's mm. um, they're invested in in the in the in the game. It's not just a, it's not just a kind of business numbers game mm. for them. Mm. Um, obviously, the business side is important. It has to be run well. Doesn't mm. you know? But but for them, there's more. It's more to that. They actually mm. care about the game. And mm. so to hear that from you know. The Burnley owner, the new owners, is good. Yes. They seem like they could be good for the club. I mean, you're right as well, James. When you, I mean, some people are saying, "Oh, you know, we can get this thirty million pound player." I don't even think for the for the for at any moment that's going to be the case. I imagine in January, maybe ten, fifteen million pounds if necessary. But Burnley's in good form now, uh, despite all the adversity with all the injuries. Burnley's turned around their you know, quite dour-looking state into it's quite a nice-looking place now. And suddenly now people aren't talking about them going down. So I think it, 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 you've got to remember that and, and appreciate what Deitch has done with the players that he does have. I think there are one or two players that probably do need to come in, but I don't think it needs to be crazy money. And I think you can look in the summer. It's always a better market in the summer uh, anyway. And I think... I think uh, one or two additions, but nothing crazy this January is probably what's going to happen. And I'd also say the previous board worked really, really hard to keep a tight wage uh, structure at the club. I think Ben Mee on £55,000 a week was the highest earner. Then there are a few other players. Like Tarkovsky was on 50000 and some others on uh, some other first-team players on 35 and 40 and 45, etc. So it wasn't... I think that was that's quite a modest... I mean, there are lower wage structures in the Premier League but for a club that's been in the Premier League for five seasons it's quite modest I yes. think it can increase I think we can go to 70,000 maybe because there's going to be a little bit more cash ejection it gives a few players a bit more of an incentive to keep playing for Burnley and uh, a bit of a reward for the hard efforts that they've been doing and also it gives us a, it gives Burnley a bit more scope going on the transfer market so you can offer a slightly more modest Premier League wage to uh, yeah. to to a player. At the same time, I don't. I really wouldn't like the idea of pushing up the the, the maximum wage to one hundred thousand or something like that because I think that wage structure is in place to keep the club financially healthy, and it gets very dangerous when you suddenly start to try and jump three, four steps ahead and, and start paying players one hundred thousand a week because all it takes is one or two of those hundred thousand pound players a week to flop, Burnley to then go down. 
and then you're left with a massive financial exactly that's it that's it disaster. and what do you think about does this does this help does this help Burnley keep their their best players see James Tarkovsky's probably you've heard of probably everyone heard about James Tarkovsky wanted to leave James yeah. Tarkovsky would the interview that he gave a few months ago where he declared he wanted to leave, I didn't have a problem with because in a world where we're all uh, obsessed with, uh, I think I think we almost think footballers as robots and they should be professional, they should do this. All Tarkovsky did was tell the truth. The interviewer asked him about his what he, what he actually thought about his current situation and he told them, he said, look, the club's offered me a contract. I don't think it was desirable to me. I want to leave. But while I'm playing for Burnley, I will give 100% every, every game. And he has. And I have no problem with that because I like the honesty and the openness. And he got a lot of criticism for it. Not from me. I, I, I appreciate someone that is trying to tell the fans, look, this is actually what I think. I'd rather that than he say, oh, I love this club. I want to stay. And then he wants to leave. Just be honest. And I think it's difficult to keep him. And if... This is what I was talking about, the 100,000 thing. Tarkovsky's on £50,000 a week now, according to Spotrack, which is which is a reliable uh, database of players' wages. Now, if, you, if the club went to him and said, OK, we'll give you 90000 100000 a week, I wouldn't like that in the slightest, not in the slightest, because you're ripping up that structure. And we've seen just, just at lots of clubs, most high-profile being Arsenal, just what can happen if you think, oh, we have to keep hold of this player, he's so good, we'll give him... Matt, we're giving the most money at the club. You do that, it's risky because, again, where does the motivation go then? Because, you know, from from what I read, Tarkovsky wants a new challenge. If he gets hundred, if he was to get, say, this is hypothetical. I don't think it'll happen. But say, assuming the board gave him a hundred thousand pound a week contract, he signs it. He's basically saying, I'm staying at Burnley for the remainder of my career, or, or the, the 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 Burnley's going to be the best club I play at essentially because he's. If he signed that extension, he'd be going into his 30s, 31. He's probably not going to go to another club after that uh, that's higher than where Burnley are at this moment in time, middle of the Premier League. So in his point of view, I don't know where his motivation is. He's settling for where he is now. He's getting the most money he'll ever make in his career. And he and I, I can only see these I can only see Tarkovsky at the moment drop into 80-75% of what he is now. I don't think a pay rise will keep him at the level he is now. I think the only way he gets better and keeps keeps at his level of performance is by moving on. So I'd offer him a new contract. If he turns it down, he turns it down. I would not be offering him crazy money because I don't think it's worth it. And there's been too many examples in the past and currently of clubs that have thought they can't do without a player. They put him on this crazy salary and it turns out He's not the same player that, that they had before he signed that big mega contract. Yeah. Well, I hope that this takeover is good for Burnley because they're a club yes. that probably deserves some good things to happen. You know, so, but but I'll, 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 to, just, to, just to slightly go back to answer your question, it will help them to keep most of their better end players. Yeah, it will. But on, the, on, the, on Tarkovsky, I'm not too sure. And I think he's des- he should be. He should go, I think, to a new challenge. But the others, yeah, I think it's a nice little incentive, a little bit more in that wage when they come to renew a contract. I think, yeah, it will help with, with other players uh, in that team. Anyway, 
So top five in a position now. And uh, as, as I sort of touted before, Gary Neville said, I think, on Sky Sports, that the Premier League was home to some of the best left-wingers in Europe. And actually, the right-wingers that we covered, I, we did say that many of the goal-scoring wingers were on that left-hand side. Many on the right were more creative players. And the only one that really stood out on the right convincingly was Mohamed Salah, I think. And uh, because Raheem Sterling, who did, who was quite a prolific right wing, has now gone on to the left uh, for Manchester City. So that's so we, we couldn't include him there. And you know, this is this is. I think the left wing position has become sort of symptomatic of football's progression over the years. These are all goal scorers. In fact, many of the left wingers who are in my head. Um, I haven't even done a list. I know my five quite com- convincingly now. Um, but many of those left wingers on that list are th- are either the primary or nearly the primary goal scorers for their team. And it's the the evolution of the, the goal scoring winger. And it's so evident on that side where players start out in a wide position. They come inside uh, into pockets of space where defenders struggle to pick them up. And they score lots of goals. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely agree. You look at look at that. Uh, you know, we're going to go through some of the big clubs, but yeah, yeah. You know, and so I won't name names. Name, name people that aren't in the top five for your examples. Okay, um, I think you see. I, I, There's I, a lot I, of good ones. A lot of good. There, ones are, there are a lot of good ones. Like Christian Pulisic when he was playing yeah, well yeah, last yeah, year, yeah, example. Yeah. yeah. Starts on the starts kind of wider, cuts inside, scored goals. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that's what they want Timo Werner to do at Chelsea. By the way, yeah, yeah, one of the reasons they bought him is to do that. Yeah, uh, so yeah, that's a good example of that. And yeah, most of the all the all the ones in my top five are goal scorers. Yeah, so uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. they're big. Yeah, they're big goal scorers for their clubs. Uh, one exception clubs. I'd say to that rule, and sort of in line with what we discussed with the right wingers and the creative coming inside and creating, like Hakim Ziyech, for example, who was in both of our top fives. Uh, but on the left is Jack Grealish, who is you know taking yeah. that left wing position, and he probably would be a close sixth because you know his performances have been amazing. Probably, I I do think suited to a number eight role or number ten at some point as well. He has played yeah. as the 10. He has played as the 8, actually, but predominantly he's featured on that left-hand side. He's drifted in, not aggressively running in for goals, but drifted in almost uh, almost just like dreamlike state. Doesn't really get picked up from the left. Uh, pick it, think, seeing a picture before many of us have seen it, playing wonderful passes. So he's, he's different to the goal scorer, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean... It, 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 again, it just shows that, like we discussed on the right hand side, it can also be a good position to not get picked up and create for people in the centre. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you're right about Grigosh. He, mm. um, he, he's he was very close to making my top five. Honestly, mm. um, there's, there's quite a few others though. You know, and Richarlison. Yeah, not quite. I, I mean, I've watched him enough to know how frustrating he is. As a player, but on on form, Richarlison is a very scary prospect. That he's he's got skill, pace, power, um, goal scoring instinct. Also, sometimes it doesn't look like he's got goal scoring instincts. But 
you know, really, really at home on that left hand side, and he almost as a he's almost a second striker with Calvert Lewin at times. And Zaha, when he used to play on the left, now it's usually Schlupp or Eberechieze. Scored an amazing goal yeah, against happens. Crystal Palace as well. No, it's so so many, so so many on that on that side, uh, and, and and yeah, it, it, the, the top five really are. I think quite obvious, but the ordering of the top five really is where it, it differs a little bit. So I'll let you go first this week, James, and we'll go in a reversal. Then we'll go with number five first because I've, I've worked out that that's oh, no, better go. for. I still, feel, I'm still, I've done my top three, but the the last two I'm still kind of. Okay, well, we'll start at the top then. We'll start at the top then. Go on, do your number one. Well, number one, the, the top three was very difficult to put. Well, the top two, it was difficult to yeah fit the order because. You know, um, well, my top two are Son and yes. um, Mane. In uh, that order? Yeah, I would say, yeah. at the moment. Okay. Because on, on, on performance this season, yes, absolutely. Yes, um, but in general, Mane, in general. Mane is a world-class player, don't get me yeah. wrong. Mm. <laughs> he absolutely is. Um, um, but, I mean, Son has been absolutely incredible. Yeah. The last, last 12 months especially, he has been, he's been just incredible. Um, yeah. He's been up with Harry Kane as well has been sensational. Yeah, been absolutely key for Tottenham this year. Mm. Uh, they've, they've created goals for each other, you know, and both of them are scoring, and that's mm. Um, mm. yeah, absolutely lethal player. Mm. Works really hard, yeah. uh, great attitude, um, and you know, good team player. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah and Mane. Yeah, I mean, we know what he's done for Liverpool uh, consistently for yeah. a, a long time. You know, he, he he's his movement, his pace, uh, his finishing. He can head the ball. He, he can score with his feet. Uh, he's he, he's been consistently brilliant for Liverpool. Uh, mm. So those two are the top two for me. Yeah, and, um, and why why Son over Mane? Uh, I think. Mane, Son has been has been the last twelve months has been has just upped his game. I think. The, the, I mean, under, he's thrived under Mourinho. I think. I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult. They're both really good. Both yeah. elite players. Yeah. It's, it's literally like a flip of a coin. Because mm-hmm. um, Mane is world class as well. He yeah, could easily true. be number one. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not really. It's difficult to choose between them. Um, I'm picking. I'm picking song basically because of his form of the last the last year has been, yeah. and consistency has been absolutely sensational. So. Well, yeah, no, I, I've gone the reverse. I think Mane over Son, and it's also a flip of a coin, really. I think, um, I, it's very difficult. I think Mane as well at Liverpool gets quite a lot of goals when it's the team set up more. I think for Salah to score the goals, I do think he's the one they look to the first. Um, and Mane is almost a secondary protagonist uh, in that Liverpool front three because he does the sort of complete game. He tackles back, wins interceptions, puts his body in the in in the way of in the way of opponents to shield the ball. Links up the play really well. He's just a general nuisance. And on top of that, he also scores a good number of goals in, in quite a lot of big games as well. I mean, this season. 
he hasn't scored. He's been on. A, he's had a goal drought just before he scored recently. He was on a bit of a goal drought, but it didn't really matter because his overall performances were still excellent. Because he has the overall package, he can pick a pass. He can. He's very very fast, very very skillful. He's quite str- very strong as well. He works so hard off the ball. And I think if Salah doesn't score and Mane doesn't score, I feel like Mane probably offers more, certainly off the ball, than Salah does uh, in that Liverpool team. I think he's a selfless team player. And also, touching on what you said, he's been doing it for many years and he's won, he's won, he's won the Premier League title, he's won the Champions League. And he, you know, you can't really go much higher than Liverpool. He is in a brilliant team and he's thriving and he's not even the main winger of the two it's Salah that they look to first and foremost and then when Salah's not quite on his game or isn't quite getting into those areas then Mane comes in and usually delivers so that's why Mane but Son is is you're right it's a toss of a coin Son's been incredible the past 12 months um phenomenal player so efficient in front of goal arguably the most efficient wide man in front of goal in terms of chances and you just think if he was at Liverpool and he was in Salah he was like the, getting the service Salah did he'd probably get 30 goals because oh yeah absolutely yeah if he was playing at, in a more attacking team yeah yeah uh, he would get even more goals which is quite scary <laughs> think about it yeah uh, yeah. yeah um but You've got to give credit to Jose Mourinho in a way because he's got he's got he's improved him. He's got the best. Yeah, I know he has. Power. He's found a system which works for him. Yeah. Um. Mm. He's built the attack around Kane and Son. Yeah. yeah. So okay. So yeah, I'll go next. Then. In three, I've gone with Raheem Sterling. Sterling for in three because for me, Sterling was up there with Son and Mane for parts of the of the past few years. You've seen parts where Sterling rivals anything Mane's done. You've seen Sterling rival anything that Son's done, really, because there's been parts where he's been electric. And when Manchester City was powering away at the top of the of the league, he was incredible. He was banging in goal after goal and assist after assist. He was contributing so much. He has come on such a long way since his days at Liverpool where under Pep Guardiola, he's, he has become quite a ruthless wide player when before that he wasn't really getting those numbers. In that team, he has been getting those numbers. And I think he's still Manchester City's... He's one of Manchester City's highest goal scorers this season still, uh, despite not firing as, as as much as he has in previous seasons. I think the thing that that puts him behind the other two for me is that he does seem to be a bit more of a form player. And when he's out of form, I don't think he offers what Mane or Son would do in terms of, one, I don't think they're out of form as much as Sterling is. And two, when they are, particularly Mane, Mane can still have a really big effect on the game. He can, he can, you know, for all the off-the-ball things he does, for his physicality and his pace, he, he really makes the most of it, even when he's not scoring. For Sterling, I don't think it's quite the same because I don't think he's as strong as Mane or maybe Son, not as strong as those. He's still very quick, but I think, and you've probably noticed this, when he's not in full confidence, his pace drops a bit. He doesn't want to take on the the man. He he sort of stutters his run and the defender sometimes gets back, a bit like he did actually in the game against Chelsea, but he's he's sort of in confident mood now. But when he was ahead of the... Uh, when Chelsea were playing that ridiculous high line, he sprinted past the halfway line. If that was Mane or Son, Son, I'm thinking in particular, you think he'd have he'd have taken it 1v1 against Mendy and slotted it in. But Sterling ran, and he had the pace to burst well clear and finish it, 
But then I think Zuma caught him back up and then he rounded Mendy and then he de delayed, he delayed, he delayed, he hit the post, then De Bruyne scored, so it didn't matter. But I think that was kind of what frustrates me with Sterling. He has the pace to burst away, he has the ability to finish it, but he delays and he overthinks the situation. So that's why I think the other two, would, they don't overthink it as much and I think they're more effective when they're not scoring and when they're a bit out of form. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that, yeah, that goal today was, I'm not going to knock goal, the non-goal today was absolutely, absolutely a, a symptom of, of that. Yeah, absolutely spot on with that analysis. He does seem to have like, like a few players actually have these, have these runs where he scores a lot of goals and then he doesn't score for a while. Um, yeah. But those two seasons where Man City were absolutely running away with it, he was sensational. And he's definitely improved under Guardiola. Yeah. Guardiola's definitely had a positive, positive impact on him. Yeah. Uh, like he does a lot of players, to be honest. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, everything you said, pretty much, I agree with. He's a, he's a top-class player. Mm. Um, good character as well. Yeah. Uh, works yeah. really hard. Um, it's a good example off the pitch, too. So, mm. yeah. Um, absolutely agree with that. I mean, in four, in four, I've well, I sort of gave it away, really. In the Bamian, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, really hard this because when I thought about this at the start of the season, that was impossible, and it makes it slightly easier given his wretched form this year. Uh, Abamyangs that he is in number four, but when we look past before this season, he was really a player you could look at and think. It's, well, he's, he's, he's played up front quite a lot for Arsenal. He's now been playing as a left winger as well. And he's not a natural left winger. And I, I think he's had to adjust to that. Even the goal-scoring left winger, I think he's had to adjust to that. The other three are wingers and they've become goal scorers. Aubameyang's gone from a goal-scoring striker to a winger. He's had to adjust, I think. And arguments could still be made that he looks more at home as the striker. So that's probably why he is at number four here as well. But, you know, I mean, Aubameyang's a wonderful player and... If he does rediscover the form that got him the £325,000 a week contract that he gleefully signed, then <clears throat> even if he rediscovers half of that form, Arsenal have a hell of a player. Uh, someone who certainly on the form is as clinical as any of the players we've just mentioned. He is a player that you thought, when you thought 20 goals a season, you thought Young. I think. I mean, I did. Um, not this season, but I have done in the past. He's a, he's just a clinical, lethal goal scorer, coming in from that side, shaping his body up to bend it into the corner. He's a you know, it's classic Aubameyang finish. The comparisons made with Thierry Henry. I think he's fourth, as I say, because I don't think he's as he's a natural winger goal scorer like the others. So I, I think he he does sometimes look a bit out of place sometimes on that left hand side. And also, because he isn't that natural winger, I don't think he's as effective. When he's not scoring goals, Aubameyang's not really effective at all. The other, the, the top two definitely are. Mane especially. Sterling can be. Aubameyang, no, he can be, you know, non-existent. It's just about goals for Aubameyang, I think. But, you know, he, he, not many score more than him when he's in, when he's in full flight. Absolutely, yeah. When, he's, when Aubameyang is in top form, he's mm. world-class. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that his form will not I'm sure his form will turn at some point. Um, mm. I think it's very nice, very nice to write write players off after one run, bad run mm. of form. Mm. Uh, and he's been in a Arsenal side that's been struggling until the yeah. last three games. Mm. So, yeah, his form will come back. He's a he's a class player, and yeah, he was he was 
I think we're going to have the same list. I wouldn't be surprised if we've got the same Number five. Well, yeah, it's English. slightly different ordering, isn't it? Uh, oh, yeah. The first two yes, the first two are different, yeah. yeah so who's, your, who's your five then, James? Well. Yeah. Who's number five? Well, this is a tough one. Um, there were lots of candidates for it. Uh, like you said, we talked about Grealish and, and talked about Richarlison as well. Um, uh, and I'm picking somebody who... I, I, I'm classing him as a left winger because he's playing... He's playing, on the, he's playing on the left for his club a lot yeah. of the time. He's played yeah. up front yeah. as well sometimes. Yeah. Um, but he's played a lot on the left recently and he's scoring goals. Yeah. And uh, he's, again, great work ethic. Um, he's improving all the time. Mm. Um, Marcus Rashford. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's, yeah, it, and again, yeah, people talk about him as a striker. I've always seen him as a winger. Yeah. I think. Um, um, but like, again, one of those one of those wingers that cuts inside and so central it scores goals. Um, mm. And he can do it actually do it both sides, but he's usually better on the left. Mm. Uh, that's why he's been played a lot by Solskjaer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's been absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and he just keeps getting better, you know. Uh, yeah. And, um, and a great example off the pitch as well. We all know about that. Oh, amazing, yeah. Um, incredible um, person off the pitch. Um, deserves a lot of credit for all of doing all of that, using yeah. the platform that he has yeah. for, for lots of really good things. Um, yeah. But on the pitch, he's, he's fantastic and yeah. deserves to be in the top five. I, yeah, same for me. Uh, I'll be brief with this as well with Rashford. Yeah, I, I think all the things you've said, uh, goal scoring winger, brilliant attitude on and off the pitch. I think compared to the other four, doesn't the other four, depending on their how the form they're in, you can see them getting 20 goals. I don't see that with Rashford just yet. I don't think he is almost like what I said with Sterling when he has that thing where he can absolutely burst clear of someone, finish it with confidence if he's in that kind of mindset. I think it's the same with Rashford, and you compare. Easy comparison with Kylian Mbappe. I've seen Mbappe. When Mbappe uh, goes into full flight, can't beat him, one-on-one, finishes the ball usually. Confidence personified. When Rashford can do that, because he has the same kind of attributes, he doesn't always do that. It depends what kind of mindset he's in, if he's in a confident moment or or whatever. He doesn't strike me yet as someone who can get 20 goals in in the season. Maybe in all competitions, yeah, but consistently... Yeah, I, I don't think he has got 20 goals in a season yet. I think he's been struggling. He's struggled with form. He struggled with um, with with injuries as well. But I do think that he's one of the players that Man United can look to in big games to turn to make something happen. Apart from Bruno Fernandes, take him out of the equation. Usually, Marcus Rashford turns up in the bigger games, and that's a, that's testament to how much, as you say, he's progressed. Uh, that he can come up in. in, in provide clutch performances in certain matches and his goal in the last minute against Wolves was testament to that never say die attitude finding some space cutting inside scoring a goal so yeah top five different same top five different ordering of one and two but yeah no that's uh, that's the top five left wingers I think they probably picked themselves now um, given I think Christian Pulisic was almost number five for me a while back but his his form's taken a bit of a dive since. Uh, that yeah, point. if he if he yeah. continued the form that he had last season, yeah, 
uh, he would have been in my top five as well. And Grealish is close as well. I mean, it was a, t- a Grealish, Grealish and Rashford. The difference is Rashford no. plays for a bigger club, and he, and he and he and it's hard. And I think that is harder to stand out in a club like Man United than it is to stand out in a club like Villa. Or with all due respect, yeah. But, and I'd like to see Grealish at a bigger club. Oh, I would. Yeah, uh, I absolutely would. I don't know which. I mean, I mean cracky. Imagine him at Man City, um, for example. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, he would. He kind of fit like a glove there, honestly. But, um, he would. He's a he's a he's a he's a top class player, and I think if he made that move to a bigger club, yeah. he would he would improve, and he would step yeah. up. One of those. Yeah, it's those kind of players that you think you look at them, you think if they were playing with better players, mm. they would become a better player. No, you they know? would absolutely. Um, a lot of players like that that I see around. Declan Rice is another one. Another you, know, one. you just wait till he goes to a big club to see how good yes. he is. Man United. Well, actually, an example of that, I think. Yeah, um, very. No, sure. There's a lot out there. I mean, yeah, and it, and it is it, that, as I say, the, the, the positional analysis is always something that can spark debate as well. So it's always nice. To, I, I think that one's one of the easier ones, actually, those top five. So uh, compared to some of the other ones, anyway. Anyway, look on the European front now as well. And I was sort of talking off air about this slightly that uh, it was a storming win, actually, in Serie A for Inter Milan, 6 2 over Crotone and yeah I mean it was 2-2 at half time Arturo Martinez scored a hat-trick and Lukaku also got himself on the short score sheet Akraf Hakimi as well um, and the revival of Antonio Conte's men after going out of the Champions League is quite incredible they are second in the table only lost the one game that was against AC Milan as well who are top of the table um, in Serie A after a win against Benevento uh, Benevento Benevento oh my my Italian pronunciation needs work but it was uh, the the Milan fans again on, one or two of them on Twitter just so delighted with the fact that they keep extending their unbeaten run um, into the into 2021 uh, but Inter are just behind in with 36 points to 37 and it looks like a two-horse race for the title at this stage although Juventus game in hand won today 4-1 against Udinese and Ronaldo surprise surprise scored again twice when made a goal as well so you can't really rule them out with Ronaldo but it is a novice manager in Andrea Pirlo there are a lot of young players they are a little bit off the pace and if they do win the game in hand, they'll still be seven points off the top. So Milan versus Inter, James, I guess at the start of the season, the front runners that are Milan at the moment, they wouldn't have been considered to be the front runners. They, you know, they were considered to be a good team. Ibrahimovic was back, got a lot of good young players. They've taken the league by storm, really. Just a shame for them that one point below Inter Milan are. They were arguably the favourites going into the new season because Conte had signed quite a few players that he wanted. Do we think that Conte might, without the uh, burden of European football, take the Italian crown? And if so, do you think that maybe, you know, you look at Antonio Conte, is the fact that he has to play, you know, the reality is he has to play roughly twice a week at a big club. I know he stormed the league with Chelsea when they didn't have European football either. Does he need to maybe tinker his tactics a little bit? Because, um, you know, the reality is 
if they do win the league, they've had a disaster in the Champions League. It, it can't seem to be both. Yeah, that's why uh, Antonio Conte doesn't have a good record in the Champions League. No. Uh, at all. Uh, so, however, um, I don't think Inter would have won the Champions League. No, I don't <laughs> think they would have. They had got through. It's, uh, to be honest, you look at the team, it is good. It's very it good, good, but it's not amazing, yeah. is it? It's not amazing. Yeah, it's not like Bayern Munich or you know, no, like, no. that kind of level, um, or PSG even. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he's he's won the Italian league. He's won he's won the Premier League. You know, he he knows how to win league titles, mm. and he's he knows the Italian league very very well. Mm. Obviously, mm. he's got a squad that I think is good enough to win to win Syria. I, yes. I, I think it is good enough. Yes, uh, they came second last year by one point, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, got to the Europa League final last year, so he was a good, good first season in charge. And yeah, he'll he'll back. He'll be confident that he can win. He can win the league, absolutely. Mm. Uh, especially when, like you say, no European football means no midweek games, which means you can play almost the same team in every game. Mm. Um, when he did that at Chelsea, he won the league. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, that was that 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 that, that lead that season. He won the league at Chelsea. They didn't have any European football, so they mm. he could basically play the same eleven every single game. And players didn't get tired; they had a week off in between every game. So yes, yeah, I think he's got a very good chance of winning the Italian league with Inter, mm. uh, and that would be a great achievement for him. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, it does look like that's the way the stars are aligned. I mean, Atlanta are always an exciting team as well. They won five one against Sassuolo, but their Champions League uh, attempts to get into the uh, a Champions League uh, place are still a little bit off the pace. Uh, they are in seventh, and we saw in the Champions League how great and terrible they could be in equal measure, beating Liverpool Anfield two nil, and also losing five nil on their own patch on the, at their own stadium. Uh, also a nice result 4-1 for Napoli over Cagliari Fiorentina 0 Bologna 0 and Roma beat to Sampdoria 1-0 pick of the other results in Serie A um, but yeah it's been uh, I mean it's been another exciting uh, week I guess in the Bundesliga as well Bayern Munich 2-0 down in their match against Mainz 2-0 down at half time win 5-2 uh, Robert Lewandowski scoring twice again surprise surprise uh, Joshua Kimmich scoring as well Leroy Sané and Nicolas Sule getting on the score sheet I love Joshua Kimmich I think he's an amazing player because he seems to provide attacking returns despite his primary job being to shield that back four and yeah Bayern are I wouldn't say reasserting dominance at the top but they are top of the league by two points uh, RB Leipzig finding a 1-0 win on the Saturday against Stuttgart. Um, uh, they did miss a penalty, actually, Leipzig, but Dan- Danny Olmo scored in the second half for a 1-0 victory. I mean, with, with, with Leipzig, they are the closest challengers to, to buy, which is quite amusing considering this old Timo Werner for big money to Chelsea and he scored a large portion of their goals. And they have changed a little bit now, I think, uh, Leipzig. I think there's a lot more defensive resilience now. They're winning games by the odd goal. They're not scoring as many goals as they once did. But if you look at the Leipzig team, it's really quite ordinary on an individual basis. 
So yeah. again, it's it, it's the it's the legend of Julian Nagelsmann that really is carrying yeah. that club in many he ways. He is he is one of the best young coaches in Europe. Yeah. There is no yeah. question about that. He is mm. he uses different tactical systems, different tactical. Mm. He uses different formations. Mm. He's able to adapt to the players that he had. Mm. Um, I remember last season when he had Timo Werner. He set up a he set up a system which which got the best out of him. Mm. Uh, for and and he did. He got thirty odd goals last season. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 very smart. He seems to be good at motivating players. You know, mm. coming back from when they they lost five nil to Manchester United. Of course, it was never a five nil. No, nevertheless, they come back and then they beat them in the home game. Um, he learns from his mistakes. Um, he's got you know the right mindset, and he's going to go far. You know, I mean, mm. Leipzig is, yeah. is just the beginning for him. Yes, uh, he he will end up at one of the big bigger clubs. Yes, for sure. he'll probably end up in one. Of, I I wouldn't be surprised if he end up in the Premier League uh, at no. some point soon. No. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think it's certainly something to watch there, and many of the big clubs will be looking at him in particular. I mean, Borussia Dortmund, who again they recently sacked Lucien Favre and Edin Terzic is in temporary charge. It's been a bit. It's, it's been a bit of a staggered. Um, Post Favre era at Dortmund, and they did beat Wolfsburg by two goals to nil. Jaden Sancho actually did get mad of the match, but Sancho has been a bit hit and miss again since then. But I've, you'll see some uh, compilations on on social media of him missing quite a few good chances of late. But he did score and make he did make a goal uh, against Wolfsburg. So it's integral that he finds his form again, as as well as Erling Haaland, who's coming back from an injury. Um, but yeah, I, Dortmund's an interesting one because whoever will go in the summer is really interesting. I can't see Erling Haaland and Jadon Sancho both going. Well, maybe they will. I don't know. Maybe it was Sancho's time this summer and he didn't go and it was Erling Haaland's next summer and he might go. Yeah, I, yeah that's right. I think there might be a plan there. Mm. And there's, there's a bit of speculation over Erling Haaland's release clause, whether it's this this coming summer or the next summer. Yes. Um, it wouldn't be surprised me if it's the next summer mm. and they sell Jadon Sancho this summer yes. and sell Harland next summer. Although the release clause is only about 60, 70 million. Yes. And he's worth way more than that already. Yes. So yes. they'll want, probably want to renegotiate. That. Well, the thing, the thing is, <laughs> or though, they, that's... Or sell him this summer when they can probably get more for him. Yeah, so, Mina Raiola, Mina Raiola, who's the agent of Erling Haaland, he gets a very bad press because he doesn't come across as the most likable of guys. But when I read Ibrahimovic's autobiography, I sort of saw him in a bit of a new light because Ibrahimovic said when he was younger and clubs, I think it was Ajax, were basically trying to give him a quite a, a, a great deal for the club and a bad deal for the player in that he had no release clause, he had a low wage, low bonuses compared to the rest of the squad. And he was really uh, thrown under the bus a little bit because he didn't understand the intricacies of a contract. He didn't have an agent uh, like Mina Raiola who would really fight you know, the corner for the player. Now, Mina Raiola's got Borussia Dortmund to sign a contract for Erling Haaland where he has a release clause of 60 million, 2 million, I think, pounds or euros roughly around that vicinity. That means that he basically has the opportunity to grow and develop at Borussia Dortmund and then Borussia Dortmund can't really hold him back because that release clause gets activated, which triggers virtually every big club in Europe. Uh, it gives them the opportunity to ask for Haaland's signature. Now, that is a masterstroke, really, from uh, Mino Raiola, who's basically said, he's looked at Haaland, he's thought he needs to develop 
his game, and so he shouldn't go to a big club now. But when he has developed his game, this club might ask for a fortune and then he might not be able to go. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure that he gets his development at Dortmund. And then after a set few years, he's going to go for a ridiculously cheap fee because Natalie, you said he's probably worth 100 plus now already. So probably be worth 150, 160 when his release clause comes into effect. And he'll basically be able to leave to go wherever he wants because anyone with a brain with the money of 60 million, would be wanting to sign Erling Haaland. Yes, every single big club will want yeah. Erling Haaland. But, 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 the, 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 <laughs> but the only issue is that because he comes with Raiola, and Raiola's done a masterstroke here, he's taken 100 million pounds plus off Dortmund, roughly, maybe 100 million, 90 million. So if he goes to the next club and says, right, I want a 90 million buyout clause, that's an issue, isn't it? Because then you don't know. You know, you sign him. How long is he going to be there? Can you keep him for X amount of years, or will he will he be another platform club before he goes to maybe Real Madrid or Barcelona if he doesn't go there on his next move? Yeah, I don't think he will go to Barcelona. No, I um, no. Apart from the fact that apart from the fact that his agents just did that, the Real is just denied that's going to yeah. happen. I he's very very strategic about the clubs that he chooses. Yep. He and his dad make those decisions together. Like yep. he had the opportunity to go to Manchester United a year ago, uh, and he turned it down because. And I, I read an article about it at the time that he wanted to go to a club that wasn't the big club, mm. so that a, a club like Dortmund was almost the perfect club because he can go there and it's a big club. We play in the Champions League, but the expectations and the pressure are not as high, so he can develop. He can make mistakes. He can, he can mature as a player. He can get more experience as a player. He can become the kind of the complete package. Yeah. So that then he can go to a big club. And yeah. so, and again, he'll be very, when he picks his next club, he'll be very strategic about it. It'll be a club yeah. that has a good project. It'll be a club that has a role for him where he feels he can develop as a player. So, uh, and every big club in Europe will be after him. I mean, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, he, he is better than whatever striker you've got, unless you've got Mbappe. Um, He's probably better, you know. So, or Ibrahimovic, he's probably better. So or you, Kane. or Kane, yeah, exactly. That, yeah, sorry, I forgot him. But yeah. yeah, he's one of the top strikers in the world. He's going to be, he will be the best striker in the world at some point. So, uh, yeah, he's he's yeah. So you you'd expect all the big. I mean, I've I've, I've seen a lot of big clubs link with him. You know, Manchester City, Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, um, Barcelona, uh, Juventus. You know, they'll all be they'll all be after him. They'll all be after yeah. him. So it's up to basically he's got a choice of where he wants to of where he wants to go. And wherever he goes, I'm sure it'll be the right decision and I'm sure he'll be successful. Absolutely. No, I absolutely agree. And also just a quick word on uh Atletico Madrid, two points clear in La Liga with two games in hand. Real Madrid second, so they'll be somewhat happy that they've managed to put any uh, mid-seasons, uh, early-season struggles to bed. Imagine Barcelona and Real Madrid will get top four eventually, but it could be Atletico's year. As I say, two points clear, two games in hand, so they'll be quite happy going into 2021. And also PSG, uh, now with Maurizio Pochettino in charge. Uh, a few lasting thoughts on that, James. Is it a good appointment, or is it something where you might look at it and think, well, Pochettino... Managed an egoless, almost egoless Tottenham group, which were quite nice and, and without that um, prima donna vibe with, with the players that they had. 
And he'll be taking over at PSG with Mbappe, Neymar, Icardi, Di Maria, and lots of quite vibrant personalities that have, in the past, almost dictated the manager. How do you think that will go? Um, I don't know. It's a tough one to call. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? <laughs> I think... Oh, I'd like to think it goes well because I like Pochettino and I think he'll certainly win some domestic silverware. But I am doubtful whether he will be able to... See, the thing is at Tottenham, everyone said he was God-given right to manage Man United and that's why I felt a bit sorry for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the time because he'd done so well at Tottenham, he'd done so well at Southampton, but he didn't win trophies, obviously you know, the, the, the challenges of the club that he was at didn't necessarily stipulate you win trophies. But they talked about him like he did and they talked about him like he was the next, like he was an elite manager like, you know, Klopp, Jose Mourinho or someone like this. But he isn't really. I mean, he's a very good manager, very good manager. But he's not the elite manager. He's not the prodigal son. And I think that got a bit lost in translation. At PSG, he has the opportunity to prove if he wins the Champions League at PSG, that shuts me up because he will win domestic silverware. I'm pretty sure of that. He has a massive advantage on the rest of the teams in the division. But I'm not sure he's the one to take them to Champions League glory. That's just my opinion. But I hope I, I wish I'm him all the best. You know, highly the manager. Mm. Uh, I do. Uh, I I think. Yeah, you're right. He will. Win, he will definitely win domestic trophies. Yes. Yeah. I think that's almost a shoe in. He'll be able to do that. Um, he's a good. He's a good man. He's a very good manager. They've got the best squad in the division. Yeah, I think. Yeah, he'll he'll win the league. He'll win cups. Yeah. Um, he got Spurs to the Champions League final, which I think was he did. Final. He did. Given given the budget they have, given yeah, um, yeah the squad that they had. I mean, I hate, to, hate to do a Roy Keane Champions League final squad. Yeah, but he didn't, um, win, he didn't win it, though, did he? I mean, it, at that moment, and then yeah, to pick a half-fit Harry Kane. I, mean, I know he was, but... The side he had wasn't... Liverpool were, were a different side to his. They were a good... They were a very good side. Like, they, finished, they finished about, I don't know, 10, 20 points above them in the league or something like yeah. that. So, you know, they lost... I hope he does well. well. I hope he does well. They didn't really, didn't really have a chance. They gave away a penalty in the first minute. Yeah. Um, that's always a... I'd say though, in a way, I this think is giving better players and a bigger budget. Yeah, he could, he could win the Champions League, but, but it's the hardest dressing room this, he'll this, have this, ever managed. This, this is the test for him because ultimately, Pochettino wants the Real Madrid job. That's his dream, and so if he wins the Champions League at PSG, that sends the message to Real Madrid yeah. that oh, this guy can win the big trophies. Yeah, let's get, absolutely. Let's get him. And then he walks into that dressing room with all those players, and he has the medals to prove it. Yes. Uh, oh, it's the litmus test. Because at Real Madrid, that's actually important. Because if you walk in, the, if he walk went there now into Real Madrid now, yeah. not won yeah. anything as a manager. There's players there that have won everything. Yeah. So they can just say, "Well, you don't, you can't tell me how to win trophies because you haven't won them." I have. <laughs> You'll get that a bit at PSG, though, because Neymar and Mbappe, I think they do have these sizable egos, surely. And Di Maria, uh, and, and also well, Icardi. Yeah, the French League. I mean, that's, yeah. I know, I know, I know. But they do, um, they do have high egos with them. But it's very like high they, egos. They haven't won the Champions League. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Neymar won it with Barcelona, but that doesn't count, really, if you're talking about PSG. 
Mm-hmm. Um, most of the players haven't won the Champions League. So, yeah, and he's and a good manager. He's a good manager. He gets players behind him. He builds good team spirit. Um, he improves players. So, I hope it works out for him. I do. I because do. I like yeah. him as a manager. I like him as a man, yeah. actually. Oh, as I well. do as well. Yeah. Um, I love his passion. Yeah. Um, well, I loved seeing after the Champions League when he got to the when he got to the Champions League final with Spurs, his emotions yeah. on the pitch afterwards. It was like whoa. Yeah. Every oh, club yeah. or something like that, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, and we hope we we do we do wish him well absolutely and i mean that that rounds off sort of the the look at europe and the look at european things and obviously uh well we'll be back again next week it'll be a different uh set of topics we'll probably bring the sheffield united one back that was on uh initially but it was pushed to standby because of chelsea's dire situation um <laughs> so we, we can we can bring that probably back out of the out of the furnace uh next week but this should be on itunes plus throughout spotify and all good uh, podcast retail things that are out there. So yeah, from my uh, from myself and James, that's a goodbye, and we'll see you next week. Bye bye, everyone. Take care. Good week, everyone.